Okay, so today we are wrapping up our series, Long Story Short. And if you were here last week, we talked about, we started last week's service with the resurrection of Jesus. Um, how, you know, when we recognize that Christ died for us, that was not the end of the story. He rose, and then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. And we read these words in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. When the disciples were with Jesus, and Jesus was saying, it's your turn, you've got to take this message of Jesus Christ around the world, then he ascended to heaven. And that's the last time, you know, anyone saw Jesus on the earth. That moment, he ascended to heaven, and the disciples were looking up into the clouds, wondering, okay, what do we do now? He's our leader. Now he's gone. What do we do? And an angel appeared. If you were here last week, you remember these words. An angel appeared and said, why are you looking up into the sky? That same Jesus is going to come back in the way that you saw him go to heaven right now. He's going to come back again someday, and he's going to bring his church to himself. So that was kind of where we started last week's message, and we talked about the church and the New Testament church and the disciples going around planting churches all over and seeing God do miracles, the Holy Spirit came, and this was the beginning of the church. We are a part of that story. Our church is a part of that story where we are disciples. We are going into all the world making disciples. But ever since that moment, when the angel said, Jesus is coming back, the church has been anticipating the moment. When Jesus returns, there is a lot of talk about Jesus coming back because we believe it. He's going to come back someday. So when we talk about the story of Scripture, long story short, this whole thing we've been talking about for eight weeks, we know the end of the story, eventually we're going to get to a moment where Jesus comes back. This is what we see throughout Scripture. There is a lot of debate about this discussion, how that's going to happen, when that's going to happen. Have you ever been, maybe you're watching a late night, you know, infomercial televangelist and there's someone on there who says, I've been studying the scripture. It's clear because we saw this happen in the news this week and we see the blood moon and the super moon and they're talking about all these things and they say, I know for sure that the rapture, you know, the rapture is a church word that we talk about that time when all the Christians are going to get like zapped up into heaven and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But maybe you've heard someone on the news saying, I know it's going to be, you know, this date, so get ready. And everyone's like, oh, man, that day, well, we better get ready. Kind of like kids, you know, if you were staying at home alone and you knew your parents were coming home at some point, it doesn't matter how messy the house is during the week. All you need to have is the house put back together by the time mom and dad get home. People are like, well, if Jesus is coming back, you know, on that date, I got to make sure I got things together. And people are in churches, and, and then that day comes and goes, and people are like, well, I, I thought he was coming back that day. Um, if you were... Uh, around the church world in 1988, there was an author named Edgar Wisenhant. Wisenhant, I think that's how you pronounce it. And he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Why the rapture is going to happen. Anyone remember that? Anyone familiar with that? Maybe a couple. He wrote a book and he said it's going to be September. I think it was like he had a three-day range, September 1st, 2nd, or 3rd. Did all the research and he read through all the end times prophecies and he said... Here's 88 reasons why it's going to happen in September of 1988. He sold over 300,000 copies of that book. And people were very interested. And then September of 1988 came, and nothing happened. At least I don't think so. I, think, I don't think it happened. 
And then uh, everyone's like, well, what's the deal? You know, and then so the next year, 1989, he wrote another book. <laughs> he did, and he said, I think he didn't call it 89 Reasons, but he said, you know, full disclosure, here's all the information on why the rapture is coming really soon. He did not nearly sell as many copies of that second book because everyone's like, well, I, I don't really trust you anymore. There's a ton of discussion about this. I remember growing up in church, um, the end times, and you know, the, the Antichrist. And if you grew up in church, you hear all these terms, the mark of the beast and the number of the devil and all these things. And it seems like there would be people who would say, well, you know, in the 80s, clearly in this part of the world, you know, the end times was going to happen from Russia. Russia was going to, we don't know what Russia's doing, but they're going to bring in the end times. And there was a lot of talk of that in the 80s. I remember when the internet started becoming, you know, a thing. Um, kids, there was a day and age where we did not have the internet and we had to look up in encyclopedias and, you know, follow a map for directions and, you know, talk to people with our voices and all those things that happened before the internet. But I remember that, um, I remember hearing somebody write an article or something about how WWW, the World Wide Web, if they did like the, the alphabet and math and the Greek and that was the, that was the number of the beast, you know, the internet was the antichrist. And I remember that, I just don't, I'm not sure about that. I've always been a little cynical about those things. Hopefully that doesn't come across today. Um, I remember Y2K and, you know, we were around Y2K. Everyone thought this is the end of the world. This is when Jesus is coming back. And, and, uh, and it was one of the, another one of those things. So today, what I want to do today is highlight some passages of Scripture that talk about the return of Jesus. I want to highlight some scripture, and we see this throughout scripture. There are moments where people are um, talking about the end times, and I want to highlight some passages of scripture that talk about the return of Jesus, and we're going to do a, a, do a quick review of the final book of the Bible, Revelation. Now, this will not be a deep dive on the book of Revelation. There's a lot in there, okay? We don't have that much time today. I'm not, I will not pinpoint a day on the calendar when the rapture will happen. I, I don't have, you know, I have not cracked that code. Um, I was thinking about this this week. Maybe, maybe if you're a kid, you grew up in church like me. There was always a moment. So the rapture is that time where we believe that God is going to call the believers up to heaven. So Christians from all over the world are going to, like, disappear in that moment. So did you ever have a moment if you grew up in church where you were a teenager and you'd come home and you were expecting your family to be there and nobody was there? Eventually I would start thinking, did I miss the rapture? Did I miss it? And I'd, you know, I'd, at first I'd be like, oh, clearly they must be somewhere else. But as minutes go by, I'm like, maybe I did. Maybe I did miss the rapture and all the Christians are gone and I'm here. And so then I would start thinking, well, who do I want to call? Who do I want to call that's going to like Help me decide whether or not the rapture happened. And my brother came, would come home, and I'd look at him, and I'm like, oh, good, my brother's here. So that means, and I'd think, well, wait, does that mean the rapture? My brother's not that saved, I don't think. So is he very reassuring? I'm not, I'm not really sure about that. So um, maybe today we'll look around the room, and you can decide who in the room here are the good rapture reassuring people. So look to the person next to you and decide, am I reassured that the rapture hasn't happened because I see you there? My default is my wife, Christy. As long as Christy's here, I think we're good because she's going to be one of the first ones to go, in my opinion, because so, she's an awesome person. So she's, you're my rapture reassurance. Put that in a, put that in a Valentine's Day card. <laughs> I know the end of the world has not come because you're still here with me. You know. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Um, throughout the Bible, you have prophecies about the end times. If you read the book of Daniel, Daniel in the Old Testament, um, the whole like second half of the book, you, in the first half we talked about this, you've got Daniel in the lion's den and 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, those great stories of when Israel was in exile in Babylon. Then the second half of the book is all these prophecies about what's going to happen at the end of the world. Daniel has dreams and sees visions, and uh, he's talking about a, a time of great suffering that we would refer to as a tribulation, uh, an enemy of God who is going to rise up and, and deceive a lot of people, and then ultimately God is going to come and defeat him. Zechariah is another book where there are some end times prophecies, but it's not just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, Jesus himself talked often about his return, and we're going to start today, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, in Matthew chapter 13. This is one example of when Jesus is talking about his return. He says, I'm, I'm here, I'm going to be leaving, and I'm going to be coming back someday. And the disciples at the time didn't really understand what he was talking about because, again, they were thinking Jesus was going to be a military ruler who was going to raise up an army to defeat Rome. And Jesus kept talking about, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again, and someday I'm going to come back. And they couldn't quite grasp what he was talking about. But Mark chapter 13 is one of those examples. And Jesus also, in this chapter, and in several times in the New Testament, Jesus is talking about a time of suffering, a time of tribulation. He also returns to a great abomination that Daniel talked about, a, a leader who's going to commit this great act of idolatry against God, and he's going to rise up and deceive people. Um, so Jesus is referring to a lot of the same things that Daniel was referring to. So I want to read these verses in Mark chapter 13, verse 24. I'm going to read verse 24 through 27. And this is Jesus talking about the end of, end of the world after he comes back. But in those days, following that distress, he's talking about that tribulation. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect, or his followers, his people, from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, to the ends of the heavens. That's a great... Imagine hearing Jesus say those words. I love hearing those words. He says, I'm going to come back. And this time, it's not going to be a little baby in a manger. It's going to be triumphant. The angels are going to be proclaiming, coming in from the clouds in great glory. But Jesus is talking about his return. He's encouraging his listeners to be prepared. If you keep reading this section of the Gospels, Jesus tells a number of parables that all have the idea of being prepared for something. He tells the story of a great uh, wedding, and the bride should be prepared for the bridegroom. He's talking about servants who are taking care of a, of a home and they want to make sure they're prepared for when the master comes back. All of these parables have to do with Jesus saying, I'm coming back. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you were prepared. This is what Jesus is teaching his followers. There's another passage in the New Testament. Writings about the end times. You see them throughout the New Testament. One is in 1 Thessalonians. We actually just read Thessalonians as part of our foundations reading a couple weeks ago. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, here's a passage of scripture where it talks about this idea of a rapture or the Christians being taken up to heaven suddenly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16, this is the Apostle Paul writing, it says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says these words, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is where we get the idea of a rapture, some event in the future when believers in Jesus are going to be caught up in the air with Christ. As we continue on in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 1, it says this, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, For you know very well that in the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. He's talking about, and we're going to pause there just for a second. He's talking about this is going to be unexpected. This is going to be unexpected. And all the people who have peace and security in all they've acquired in this world, you know, the people who are like, well, I'm safe, I'm secure, I got money, I got resources, Um, all those people, if they put their trust in that, it's going to take them like a shock. It's going to be all of a sudden like, wow, I I thought I was secure and now I'm not. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, talking about the followers of Jesus, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So he's talking about this idea of those who are just living for this world. Kind of like an let's eat and drink and be merry because this world is all we've got. Let's live it up while we're here on earth because that's all we've got. Those people who think that this world is all that there is. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And he's saying to his followers, we're not like that. We don't live at night. We don't live according to the ways of the night. We are children of the day. So let's be alert. Let's be sober-minded. Let's be ready. Now, what Paul is saying is not, let's forget about everything and just sit there and wait for the rapture, right? I can't go to work today because i got to be ready for the rapture. You know, I'm I'm not going to, you know invest for retirement because I'm not going to leave my money for the Antichrist. You know, that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying spend your days in the attic of your house so that you have a head start on the rapture when he comes. But he's saying don't live like this is all there is. Don't just think I'm just going to eat and party and be merry and, you know, this life is all there is. What Paul is saying is don't. We don't live like that. We live with the hope of heaven. We live sober-minded so that We are prepared for the return of Jesus. Verse 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. What he's saying, he's, he died for us, so whether we have previously died before he comes or we are still alive when he comes, we may live together with him. Again, he says these words, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. What a great passage of Scripture Paul writes in First Thessalonians. He's saying we don't live in fear about this. Both times when he says those words, he says it twice. Encourage one another with these words. These words about the end of the world and Jesus' return should be encouraging to us as followers of Jesus because we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. We don't walk around with fear and uncertainty, unknowing our place in eternity. We wear, what Paul says, we wear faith and hope 
and love because we know we are saved. We are not destined for wrath, but for salvation. And this encourages us, amen? This is encouragement to us. So as we read these passages of Scripture, that Jesus is coming back, what does that mean for us? It means we should live like it. We should live like he's coming back. We should be filled with hope and faith and the assurance of our salvation because we have faith in Jesus Christ. This is what the story is all about. We have that assurance because Christ is with us, and when we have faith in Jesus that he died and rose for us, our salvation is assured. We have that assurance so that we can walk around not fearing, not worried about eternity. There's a lot of people who are like, I'm just unsure about what's going to happen after we die. We don't have that. We have assurance. We have faith. We have hope. We can offer love to others. We can live joyful lives because we have this assurance that our eternity, the big deal, is taken care of. We need not fear. We can encourage each other each other with these words. He's coming back, and we must be prepared. So the last book of the Bible, and eight weeks ago we started in Genesis, and we worked through the story of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, and how they had a king, and all along God was saying, I want to be your God, you be my people. Uh, We're going to have this covenant relationship, and there was rebellion and exile and all the things, the ups and downs of, of Israel in the Old Testament. And then Jesus came in the New Testament. He said, it's not about following the rules. There's a new covenant. You have faith in me, and now go be my disciples. That's a very short version of this long story that we've been going through. But the last book of the Bible, how this story ends, is the book of Revelation. And I'm going to spend the rest of the time today talking about this book. Revelation is a book primarily about the end of the world. Revelation was written by the Apostle John, the disciple John. So I mentioned this last week. All the first century disciples, all the original disciples, they would go and there was persecution. The Romans were persecuting Christians and uh, executing them and throwing them in prison. All the disciples ended up dying, being executed for their faith, except John. John was exiled to the island of Patmos, like a Greek island, probably like a prison island, where they just said, we're just going to put him on this island. And that's where John lived out the rest of his life. So many years, probably 40 or 50, 40 or so years after Jesus, John was on this island, and he receives a vision from God. He receives a vision from God, and he receives a vision and a word from God for seven churches. So the original audience of the book of Revelation, it was really a letter written to seven different churches in Asia Minor, the surrounding region. Now, I got to just give a couple disclaimers about Revelation. Well, probably a couple. We are going to just do a, a really kind of high-level overview. There is so much in here. It's really, really interesting stuff to read and to study. But there are different views of this book of the Bible by very credible scholars. Scholars would disagree on really what this book of the Bible is. Some believe that it is um, that all the events described in Revelation have happened in the past. So the tribulation, the Antichrist, the battle, the great battle uh, you know, between Babylon and the people of God, like that would be, you know, that all happened in the Roman Empire, that Nero and Caesar, and this, this was all talking about that. All this happened in the past. Other views say, well, this is all tribulation. Like what we're living in now is kind of like tribulation. There's wars and there's famine and there's disease. It's kind of the, the real world that we live in. And so it's like the whole history of mankind between when John wrote this and when Jesus comes back. And then others believe this is all future events. 
that there's going to be th- there's going to be a time where there's a great tribulation. There's going to be a rapture of the church. There's going to be growing tribulation and an antichrist, and all these things are going to happen in the future. So again, we have lots of different views of this book, and then some people believe that this is more just allegorical, more symbolic. That this is apocalyptic literature where. Um, John was giving, like, almost like a, you know, sounds bad to put it in these terms, almost like a Lord of the Rings, kind of like an, an allegory for the great battle between good and evil, that this Revelation book is that. So um, there's probably people here who have different views of this book, and we're just going to do kind of a high-level review of this book. John starts out by talking to these seven churches, and he has a word from the Lord, a word of encouragement, a word of repentance, a word of concern for these seven churches. And then in chapter 4, Revelation gets really interesting and a little bit weird if you've read it. Because John then has a vision of heaven. John, for like the rest of the book, John has this vision that God is revealing to him that, talk about, that talks about God's judgment on the earth. And it starts out with this great vision in chapter 4 that, that John has of heavenly, the heavenly realms John has this vision of heaven where God the Father is there and there are angelic beings and heavenly beings surrounding the throne, all praising God, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. And there is a lamb there, a lamb that had been slain, who also sits beside the throne with God the Father. Obviously, this is Jesus he is talking about. And the lamb who was slain is also receiving praise from the angels. And there are people from all over the world there singing praise to God and to the lamb. It's a great, you know, it starts out with this great vision of heaven. Just God the Father, Jesus the Son receiving glory and honor and praise. But then what happens is the lamb, in this vision, the lamb opens a scroll which basically contains God's judgment on the earth. God's final judgment on the earth. And there are chapter after chapter, and we're not going to get too far into it today, a series of symbols and images. There's seven trumpets and seven signs and seven bowls, all signifying a different layer of God's judgment on the earth. And the intent is God is judging the earth as a way to get people to repent and turn back to him. It's similar, when you think about it, to what God was doing in the Old Testament, God would bring about exile. God would bring about tragedy because he wanted the hearts of the people to turn back to him. God uses difficult times to get his people to turn back to him. And so John is seeing this vision of things to come, this judgment that is going to get poured out on the earth. John has a vision of a great beast. It's described as a great beast that comes to battle against God's people. There is a great Babylon, a great nation that that is described that comes and attacks Israel and destroys the temple. John is writing to his audience. Now, his audience was a literal audience, these seven churches in Asia Minor. John is writing to his audience, and he's saying this. There's going to be a time of great tribulation and suffering. There's going to be a time of heartache and pain. But take heart. The lamb that was slain has overcome the world, so you must endure. If you want a, you know, a synopsis of the book of Revelation, all that John is seeing, that vision means this. There's going to be a time of suffering, but take heart. The lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ, has overcome the world, is victorious, and so we must endure until he returns. Jesus is going to come back again and make it right. And there is eternal reward for those who endure. This is just kind of a really, really brief synopsis of the Revelation, the book of Revelation. Now again, with all of this, there are different views. 
And you might think, you know, one of the ways that I've described. And some would say this is God revealing kind of the roadmap to the end of the world. Like these are all signs that we are paying attention to. All of these things are going to happen. And we should be mindful of it and looking for the signs and be ready. There will be a rapture of the church where God's people will be caught up in heaven. That following the rapture of the church, there will be a great tribulation, a great time of suffering unlike anything the world has seen. And there will be a powerful nation, a powerful Babylon that will come and attack Israel. And there will be a beast, an antichrist, who will be at first a great leader who will bring about peace around the world. But then he will make this abomination, this sacrifice unto himself, something that is like so idolatrous that it like he declares himself God. John, a lot of people think that this is all future events that are going to happen. That after seven years of this great tribulation, God will return, Jesus will return, and the great battle of Armageddon, maybe you've heard of that, will take place, and Satan and the Antichrist will be defeated, and God will come to rule and reign once and for all. All of the, you know, a lot of people think this is all events that John is describing that are going to happen in the future. And this view is held by many scholars and people of faith. Our denomination, the Assemblies of God, churches, holds to these beliefs that these are all events that are going to happen. Now, if you are interested, there is a series of books that was written maybe about 15 years ago. Again, fictional depiction of this called the Left Behind book. Anyone read Left Behind? Started out, I, mean, I, I started about, three, I got three books in. And what I think was originally going to be about a six-book series, they turned into about a 14-book series. They really kind of stretched it out. So I said, I, I, can't, I can't make 14 books. But if you wanted to read a fictional depiction of all of the things in Revelation, the Left Behind, Left Behind is the first book. I think it was made into a couple of different movies, one starring Kirk Cameron and one starring Nicolas Cage. So right there, you know. You know those are two bestsellers, top of the... Yeah, anyways, I didn't see either of the movies because um, I didn't want to go to a movie theater in case the rapture happened, and I didn't want to be seen in a theater when the rapture took place. If you grew up in the 80s, that was something legit things that people would say in churches. Why would I want to, why would I want to do that? What if the rapture takes place and Jesus comes and you're in a movie theater? What's he going to think then? I don't know. <laughs> He's probably going to ask how the movie was, I guess. I don't know. Sorry, sidetracked. Um, our denomination, the Assemblies of God, holds to these beliefs. Another view of this is that this is apocalyptic literature. This is symbolic or allegory. This represents what John is seeing. It represents kind of just the cosmic battle between good and evil. Um, this represents all of human history that we are battling through. And that John is also saying that Jesus is going to come back and that this tribulation that is described is really what we're living in now. And the people who, with this view of Revelation, would believe that the Antichrist or this beast really represents any ruler or leader that sets themselves up against God. That Babylon is not necessarily an actual country that's going to attack Israel, but Babylon is symbolic of a spirit of any nation or any people that sets itself up against God and says, I know better than you, God. This is the spirit of Babylon. So that's another view, is more symbolic, more allegory, more um, just representative of the cosmic battle, not literal. So regardless of your view of the end of the world, and here's where we want to go for the rest of our time here. I've got a few minutes left. Regardless of your view, and you might be a pre-tribulation rapture, you know, millennial reign, half-calf with an extra pump of vanilla, 
person, or you might have a different view. There's lots of different views that you can have. Here's what is important. Here's what's important, and here's what I want everyone to get today, and here's what we're going to spend just a few minutes on. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Jesus is victorious. We don't need to fear. The lamb that was slain has overcome. He is coming back. He's going to make everything right. There will be a judgment that God is going to judge the people of the earth. But we don't need to fear because it says clearly, those with, whom, uh, those with their names written in the Lamb's book of life, those who are in Christ, those who have received Christ, we have nothing to fear. But we must be ready. You need to be ready. And we're not going to be ready by frantically searching for the signs and the lunar calendars and the Ken reading the book from 1988. And we're not, that's not what's going to make us ready. Here's what's going to make us ready. Continually just living for Christ. Continually living for Christ, putting him first. Living life in the mercy and salvation of Jesus Christ. There is assurance there. There is safety there. That's how we're ready. You know, instead of my brother and I, when my parents were out of town for a week, instead of us frantically on the last afternoon, like, we got to clean up this house. You know, we had, you know, friends over and backyard pool parties and the house was a total disaster and then we're like we got to get this place together before the masters of the house return you know rather than cramming in the end you know that last afternoon the way to be safe is to just simply say you know what we're just going to live with our house in order we're just going to live with our house in order we didn't do that as teenage boys we can do that with our faith the wrong mentality is to say, boy, I hope I know when Jesus is coming so that I can get my life together just in time. And there's a lot of people who are, th- you would hear a lot of people say that. I'm just going to live it up and party and then, you know, get my life together right before I go to heaven. Well, we don't know when that's going to happen. Jesus' return is going to come like a thief in the night. You don't know. The way to be ready is to just live for Christ, to have your life rooted in the mercy and salvation of Jesus Christ. Those who are in Christ have nothing to fear. So as we approach this topic of the end of the world, the end times, we don't need to be clothed in fear. We can be clothed in faith and hope and love. We don't live as those who have no hope. We don't live as those who have no idea about what to expect after death. We don't live with a fear of death because we have the ultimate hope in the lamb that was slain who has overcome the world, who has conquered sin and death and the grave, who holds our eternity in his hands. Amen? We don't have fear. We have faith and hope and love. So as we wrap up, I have three words. Preparation, perspective, and perseverance. Those are the three things I want to talk about. Preparation, perspective, perseverance. Preparation. I'm ready. I hope you're ready. I'm ready to go anytime. Jesus could come back right now. I'm ready. I'm ready to go home. That doesn't mean I'm neglecting life. I'm not emptying out my retirement. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And it doesn't mean that I'm okay with injustice and darkness in the world. I've heard a lot of Christians say, well, you know, there's all this genocide going on over there. It's just a sign of the times. It's, no, we don't have to be okay with darkness in the world saying things are going to get bad. It's just the way it's got to go. No, we're not okay with that. But we are prepared. We are prepared. I can go home anytime. I'm ready. It might be a long ways away. It might be today. But we should be prepared. And how are you prepared? You simply are just in the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. You make him the Lord of your life. You make him the Lord of your life. That's how we can be prepared. We're going to give an opportunity in a few minutes. For those who have never done that, I want you to to have an opportunity to say, I want to be prepared. It's simple. I just want to be, receive your mercy and grace, Jesus. 
so that I can walk in victory and freedom and faith and hope and love. Second word is perspective. Perspective recognizing that this world is not our home. It feels like the years go on forever on this earth. We go through some dark times on this earth. You don't have to be alive and walking through this life to recognize there is hurt and pain and darkness. When I see stories from around the world, stories from our community, times where pain and hurt impacts our family, our church family, I I always have this perspective. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. I'm not here forever. Some people live way too obsessed with making this world as good and as prosperous and secure as can possibly be. And when that happens, I think we stop hoping for heaven because we've got it so good here. I don't want to give this up. I'm worried about keeping all my stuff. This is not our home. Imagine we were all on our way to like a total, you know, paradise vacation, long, like months-long paradise vacation. And in the midst of that, we had some travel problems, and we had a layover at an airport in... Nebraska, and we all were like, we're stuck here in Nebraska. I I recognize I've got some family from Nebraska. I I shouldn't have said Nebraska. Nebraska, I'm sure, is wonderful. Um, Imagine we're in an airport, and we've got like a two-day layover. Things kind of fell apart, and so we're like, well, we've got to find a place to stay, and so we're finding a bench, and some people have a nice place in the airport, and some people have found food, and And imagine after those two days, you've worked so hard to get everything all put together for your little corner of the airport, when it comes time to board your flight, you think, I don't, I don't want to go. I'm, I, I like it right here. Look at all the stuff we got. We would look at you like, you're crazy. This is the airport. And we've got paradise waiting for us. Some people live this world like it's all they've got, and they're accumulating wealth, and they're trying to get secure, and they're trying to make it as pain-free as possible, and all, none of those things are bad. Well, we should always have the perspective, this is not our home. We're not here forever. In light of eternity, we are here for a very short time. My parents spend the school year in Zambia. They teach at a college in southern Africa, and Christy and I have been over to visit. And uh, I've been over a couple of times, and what I'm struck with is this. You get over there, and the first few days, you're, you kind of are filled up with kind of America prosperity, and you kind of walk around, and you're bothered by kind of some of the discomforts, and then you look at some of the poverty, and you're like, you kind of have a pity mentality. And then something switches. It's happened to me the times that I've been over there, both times. You start to recognize that in spite of poverty, they are blessed because they have a hope for heaven. They have such an appreciation, not just for eternity, they have way more of appreciation for life and faith and family because they don't have all the comforts. They, they long for heaven. When they sing their praises, Jesus, you are all I need, that it just moves my heart. I imagine it moves the heart of God because for some of them, he's all they've got. But they have this perspective that we so often miss in the richer part of the world. This world is not our home. This world is not our home. We are going to heaven. We are on our way to heaven. Let's not get so comfortable here that we forget where our home is. And the third word is this, perseverance. There is suffering in this world. There's heartache in this world. I look around the room today, and I know some of you are experiencing that right now, things in your family. You just have circumstances in your family that just make it hard. Days are difficult. Days are long. You can get weary walking through this life, and we've all experienced tragedy and hurt and pain. 
And when this happens, when we walk through that, we do not get discouraged, even though it could cause us to get discouraged. We don't give up faith. We don't stop trusting Him. All this should do is cause us to persevere and long to go home. We just say, God, I'm going to persevere. The days are long. This is a tough season I'm in, but I'm going to persevere because I'm ready to go home. Have you ever been on a long trip and you're kind of on the last leg? You're like, oh, I can, we're almost home. It feels good, right? It feels good to be getting ready to go home. Oh, man. You know, some of you are on spring break and you're thinking it's good to be home as long as all the snow is gone and we got rid of all the snow for you while you were gone. There's something about returning home. There's something about going home that just warms the heart. You're like, I just, I'm excited to go home. I feel that way about heaven. I'm excited to go home someday. This is the end of the story. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to bring his church. We're going to spend eternity with him. I'm ready to go home. I want to go home. But here's what I feel more strongly than that. I want you to come with me. I want to make sure you're there. Everybody in the room today, anyone hearing my voice, I want to make sure you're there. And not just the people in this room. I want to make sure as many people as we know. I want my neighbors, people on our street, people in the surrounding community, people of Farmington. I want as many people there at home in eternity with me. Are you with me? I want you there. I, I shudder at times thinking about what happens if there's people, maybe people in the room here today, and we get to heaven someday, and we're like, I don't see these people. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. I want you to be ready. I want you to go home with me. We're going to wrap it up by reading one final passage in the book of Revelation. This is at the end of the vision. John is seeing a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 7, and this is how we're going to wrap up this series. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. You know, right there, I just recognize that's how the whole story started. The beginning of the Bible, God is saying, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. This, at the end of the story, God is going to make that right. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. That's us. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And this word is for some of you who are struggling through life. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious, in other words, those who endure and persevere, will inherit all of this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. So long story short, put that last slide up. Long story short as we wrap up this series. In the end, it's all about Jesus. It's all been about Jesus. He is the Lamb who was slain. He's the conquering King. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. We live with hope and perseverance because this world is not our home. Jesus is coming back. Heaven awaits. Amen? Amen.